0: Hi ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I am delighted to be part of the Women in the Word teaching team and I'm delighted to be here today studying the Word of God together. I want to just say welcome to the West Campus. We have so many great ladies that study the Word of God every week with us out at the station. We're glad all of you are here this morning. Now, how many of you are planners? How many of you carry a planner around, use it in your phone? I'm with you. I like that planning thing. I like to put it down in my... I use my phone most of the time. But uh, one of my daughter-in-laws has a big planner. She carries in a big purse everywhere so she doesn't miss the soccer practice or the teacher conference. Another one of my daughter-in-laws is a great vacation planner. She uh, loves to know what's going to happen when she gets somewhere and so she researches it and she has a plan for their vacation. So planning is good, isn't it? It keeps us headed on track where we need to go. It keeps us goal oriented. And as we've studied Genesis together, both back in 2014 and the last couple of weeks, we've discovered, you may have already known, God is a planner, isn't he? God is a planner. In fact, he is the ultimate planner he's the ultimate planner and what we have here in our bibles is the story of god's divine plan from the opening pages of genesis from genesis 1 1 clear through to that very last verse in revelation we see the story of god's plan unfolding for his people and what we see in our bibles and in our own lives is we have a choice don't we we have a choice To either be part of God's plan by our faith and obedience or we can choose as individuals to rebel against God's plan and then suffer the consequences of our own choices. But the interesting thing is regardless of what we choose as individuals, God's divine plan for his people will go forward just as he reveals it right here in the pages of our scripture. Look at your verse sheet with me. Jeremiah 29:11 says for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a hope and a future and Psalm 33:11 says the counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generation. God has a divine plan from the opening pages of his scriptures that plan is to redeem and bless his people throughout all generations. And Abraham is part of God's divine plan. God's plan for Abram was revealed back in Genesis 12. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago with Deb. When God promised him land, he promised him seed or offspring. He promised him great blessings. Now, since that time, the rest of chapter 12 and 13 and 14, what we have seen is that Abram, even though he's part of God's plan, he's had some hard circumstances. There's been a famine. He went down to Egypt. He didn't make great choices. He comes back. And when he gets back, there's a lot of family struggles And there's even been a battle with the local kings for him to rescue Lot and his family. But God's plan for Abram and his offspring stand firm through all generations. They have not changed. So open your Bibles with me to chapter 15. We are going to start reading about God's divine plan. Verse 1 in chapter 15 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So following Abram's rescue of Lot and his blessing from Melchizedek that we talked about in Lynn's great lesson last week, God speaks to Abram directly in a vision here. Now visions in Old Testament times were really one of God's ways for imparting divine revelation to his people we have divine revelation in god's word right here so we don't have the opportunity to have those visions but abram didn't have god's word written down so god comes to him in a vision now abram's rescue of lot was a pretty bold measure if you remember that story and what that's done is it's put a target on abram's back now he's the target of retaliation against uh from those kings that he rescued lot from that was the common plan in the ancient world is they would retaliate back and forth against each other um so god begins his conversation here with abram uh, about his divine plan for abram by really giving him some great reassurance here he says abram i'm your shield i've got your back you don't have to uh uh, stay up at night like Colleen's great praise and um, worry about what's going to happen to you I am here now he tells him in verse 1 not only does he have his back against all circumstances but he has a great reward for him If you think back to last week, you know that Abram refused the king of Sodom's reward. He doesn't say that here to God, does he? Instead, he says, I want to know more about this reward. In his belief, he trusts God that there is a reward, but he wants a deeper revelation of what's going to go on here. He wants more understanding from God. He's hungry to know more about God's plan. He's hungry to know more about his part in God's plan. But unfortunately, in verse 2, he makes a wrong assumption. He assumes that since he's old and that Lot is no longer with him, that Eliezer, his servant, has to be part of God's plan. Because that's how our human reasoning works. We figure it out for ourselves and then we want god to sign down at the bottom of what the plan is going to be but god's not going to sign abraham's plan right here what he does is speak pretty strongly to abraham in verse four he essentially says pay attention here abram listen up we um uh, you are going to have a natural born son it's not going to be your household servant And then God takes him outside and he shows him the stars in the sky to illustrate his descendants. Last week in chapter 13 and 14, He, I believe he said to him, "Uh, your descendants will be just like the dust of the ground. This time, he says, they're going to be as countless as the stars. God's divine plan for Abram has not changed. It hasn't changed. Now, Abram's response to God in verse 6 It's one of the most important verses on faith in the scriptures. You may want to put a little asterisk there or underline it. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now righteousness is moral perfection. Moral perfection. It means being completely without guilt or sin. Righteousness is an attribute of God. We, when we studied Galatians in the fall, I know a lot of you were here with us for Galatians, we learned that the righteousness of Christ is credited to all who believe in Christ. By grace alone through faith alone. We said that over and over again. Week after week as we studied Galatians. In Christ alone. By grace alone through faith alone. We as believers never work for our righteousness. It is credited to us. By the gracious God that we believe in. And the same thing is happening right here. Right here in the opening pages of our scripture. Abram, God's friend. Has righteousness credited to his eternal account simply because he believes god think back on those conversations we had in the fall we had a lot of them on the teaching of paul those conversations that we had in the new testament book of galatians stand on the shoulders of this verse right here look at galatians 3 5 through 8 on your verse sheet Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith... Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all nations be blessed. Abraham has done nothing to deserve God's righteousness that he gets here credited to his eternal account except take God at his word. Now, this verse um, is right here in chapter 15, and it may be a little bit confusing because we think, okay, we've been talking about Abram all this time, and now finally, right here, he believes God. Moses, who wrote Genesis, put this verse right here in chapter 15 because of what we're going to talk about next. But really... Abram believes God back in the Ur of the Chaldeans, doesn't he? It's then that his belief in God comes to fruition. He takes God at his word and what does he do? He leaves Ur of the Chaldeans with his family and he travels all the way with um uh, God, to And last week Lynn showed us a great picture of um, the t- tree at Shechem, I believe, where he built an altar. Uh, he believed back then, but Moses places this right here because he wants it in our minds that Abraham is counted as righteous because of his faith before we read what happens next. So look at verse 7 with me. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these cut in half and laid each half against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now we see Abram doing the same thing here that we saw him doing just a few minutes ago. He wants a great greater understanding. He wants to know um, how he's going to know that what God has said to him about his future is going to come to pass. So he asked for a sign. Now, a sign back in the ancient days was kind of a a, a common thing it was not uncommon in old testament times to request a sign and the reason for that is they didn't have all the reams of paper that we have when we make a commitment to someone i went to a real estate closing with my husband yesterday and i signed and i signed and i signed all of these uh, conditions that were pro Part of this uh, closing. Abraham in his day did not have that. So they frequently ask for some sort of physical ritual that would confirm a commitment. So God begins in verse 9 to say, okay, we're going to have that ritual to confirm my commitment to you. And he prepares. Uh, he gives Abraham instructions that are going to lead to the binding covenant that he makes. Abram wants confirmation, and God is going to give it to him by making what's called a covenant. Now, a covenant is a, in the Bible, is a binding agreement or a promise between two people. But it can be between a king and his people, it can be between God and groups of people, it can be between God and an individual and a covenant this binding promise can be conditional or unconditional a conditional covenant in the bible is one where god's actions are in response to some action on the part of those he makes the covenant with a great example of that is the mosaic covenant the mosaic covenant which was made between god and the people of israel And it was based on the fact, it was conditional on the fact that if Israel obeyed God, he would bless them. If Israel did not obey God, he would curse them. Look at Deuteronomy 28 on your verse sheet. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. That's an example of a conditional covenant. Um, people are going to have to obey in order to have God's blessing. Um, but what God's preparing here is not a conditional covenant. It is an unconditional covenant. And we know it today as the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. Theologian Lewis Sperry Chaffer says, An unconditional covenant is distinguished from a conditional covenant by the fact that its ultimate fulfillment is promised by God and rests upon God's power and sovereignty. An unconditional covenant is all about who God is and what he's promised and how he carries it out by his power and his faithfulness. Now we know what God has promised Abram. He's promised him land and offspring and blessing. And now God prepares to make that unconditional covenant that's simply going to rest ...on who God is. So Abraham does what God asked him to do. He gathers those animal sacrifices. He cuts them apart. He lays them in a row. Now what would normally happen here to someone that was making this type of serious covenant... ...is that the two people that were making the covenant would either clasp hands... ...and walk together between the halves of the animals... Or the weaker party in the covenant, the one that was most likely to not keep the covenant, would walk through the halves of these animals. Now this covenant, this type of covenant, uh, is a life or death situation. Because if you don't keep your end of the bargain here, what happens to you is you 're cut into it 's symbolic what happens to these animals and i don 't know whether they really cut each other in two or not, or whether you just died but it was a it was a serious thing it was a serious thing that 's what uh, God is having Abram prepare to do, but this ratification of this covenant turns out to be a little bit different. And before it actually happens, there's an evil omen that happens. Those birds of prey that swoop down upon these dead animals, uh, what they really are is an evil omen that depict that there are going to be foreign nations that prey on Abram's descendants Now, verse 12 that we didn't read tells us that Abram falls into a deep sleep. He falls into a deep sleep after he drives away the birds of prey, um, knowing that that's an evil omen. And then God prophesies to him after he falls into that deep sleep. And he, he really tells him... You know, Israel's future, which I'm guaranteeing here, is not going to be without hardship and suffering. There's going to be a period of time when your descendants are going to be in captivity for 400 years. And, of course, we know in hindsight that it all comes true, doesn't it? We know that Israel is in captivity in Egypt for 400 years and that this captivity ends exactly how God prophesies it right here in verses 12 through 16. We know that God ends up judging the nation of Egypt for holding Israel captive and we know that uh, Abram's offspring do return the land that God has promised them. But um, look at verse 17 with me and we're going to see the unusual part of this covenant that uh, God completes here with Abram. Verse 17 says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites and all these other ites right here. God reveals himself right here as he's making this covenant with Abram. He reveals himself in the image of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. That's a little bit reminiscent of how he leads them out of Egypt across the wilderness, isn't it? In a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. And the fire here represents. The holiness of the Lord. The holiness of the Lord. It also represents that he has a white hot zeal. For fulfilling his promises to Abraham. Through this covenant. And for judging the nations that are going to oppose Abram's descendants. They've already had that evil omen. That shows that there are going to be people that swoop down upon Abram's descendants. But this fire right here shows us the zeal God has for defending Abram's descendants. The God of all the universe is the one that walks alone between the severed pieces of these animals. We know that because Abram's in a sleep. He did not participate in this. He sees it in a vision, but he doesn't participate in passing through the animals. There is no one or no thing that is greater than God that he can swear by, so he swears by himself. Look at Hebrews six thirteen on your verse sheet. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now this is called the cutting of the Abrahamic covenant because of all those cut animals and it formalizes all these promises that we've seen God make to Abram over the last chapters and this Abrahamic covenant is a significant thing for all ages for the nation of Israel it is a message to all generations of Abram's descendants here and it's clear that even though Israel's future is going to have some suffering I think it was interesting that God put that in before he cut the covenant This isn't going to be a free ride for the nation of Israel. But even in their worst times, even when they're in captivity in Egypt, even when they go off to captivity in Babylon, they know their God has made a covenant with Abraham that stands throughout the ages that promises them a future. I gave you a a chart. Douglas, would you put up that chart of the Abrahamic Covenant? Um, It's compliments of Dr. Bill Egner, who is a great Old Testament teacher. And it has way more on it than we could ever possibly discuss um, in weeks, probably. But the reason I included it is because this chart is just a great visual of how the Abrahamic Covenant is a skeleton that runs throughout the entire Bible. These promises that God is confirming here through Abraham here that we know as the Abrahamic covenant go clear through to the millennial kingdom. You can see there's a line there um, that says land and there's going to be a day when each of these promises are completely fulfilled. The ultimate um, and this chart gives us insight into the timeline of the ultimate uh, promises that abrahamic covenant that line that says land you can see it um it goes it has some dots there it goes uh on to the millennial kingdom and what that tells us is that the promise of a permanent homeland that um god is making here that fulfills the boundaries that he gives here for um israel clear to the euphrates river um, is delayed beginning with that babylonian exile in 586 it will be completely fulfilled as god intended in the millennial kingdom when christ comes to return that is when israel will possess the land uh, and all of its boundaries as god intended um, now if you look at the line that says seed that is of course the people and the kings and the future messiah that's also going to be realized in the millennial kingdom. And in the, leave it up a little bit longer, please, Douglas. Um, that's also going to be realized in the millennial kingdom. That is when Christ will come back and rule on the Davidic throne... All of God's people um, that are part of the nation of Israel that have trusted in Christ in that day will be gathered into the physical land in the millennial kingdom and Christ will rule on the Davidic throne forever. Now the blessings of... Um, God that go here in the uh, Abrahamic covenant do not end; they go clear through the uh, Old Testament, the New Testament, into the millennial kingdom now, like i said there 's a lot on this chart that we don 't have time to talk about, but I want you to know what I really want you to know is that god 's divine plan begins. Early in the scriptures, here in Genesis, uh, for Abraham, God's divine plan for Abraham. And it continues until the return of Christ and the millennial kingdom. And that means for us that the Abrahamic covenant is unilateral, meaning it's for the nation of Israel. It's unconditional and it is unending. But there's more to know about Abraham's plan. So we have to keep reading. Thanks, Douglas. You can take it down now. Um, Look at Genesis 16 with me, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Cana, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar to the, the Egyptian servant and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong be done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you uh, please. And then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Okay, so 10 years have passed since they have been in the land that God led them to. God has made his covenant with Abraham. We saw that um, back in chapter 15. He's assured him that he will have a natural born son. But instead of calling out, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. This has been a long, long wait for Sarah and for Abraham, but obviously it's festering in Sarah's heart. But instead of calling out to God and understand for deeper understanding and greater revelation here, Sarah hatches her own foolish plan. She's oftentimes like I am. I decide. God must want me to make the plan here because I'm not seeing his plan. And that's what she does. She hatches her own foolish plan. She drags Abram and Hagar into it. Now Sarah's suggestion of Abram taking Hagar as a wife so that she can claim the child was actually a common custom of the day in the ancient world they live in. But Sarah forgets one really important thing here. It was not God's plan. It may have been the culture that she lived in, but it was definitely not God's plan. Because God's plan was to ultimately bless and redeem the families of the world through this one family. And he doesn't have to resort to polygamy to do it. He didn't pick Abram's family out and then think, Oh gosh, I didn't realize Sarah was um, barren. God knew all that ahead of time. So he didn't have to resort to polygamy to accomplish that. You know, God's plan for marriage from the opening pages of Genesis, God's plan for marriage was always monogamy. Always monogamy. And so the polygamy that came to be practiced in the Old Testament... Um, is not something he's going to draw into his plan here. Our God fulfills his plans through his sovereign power and his faithfulness, not through the sinful practices of a misguided culture. Unfortunately, we don't see Abram going for God for clarity here, do we? What we see him doing is a great parallel of what Adam did in the garden with Eve. He simply gives in to his strong willed wife without considering, without considering the plans of God or considering the consequences of rebelling against God's plan. And Abram reaps what he sows here because we all in this room know that it would not go well with two wives and one pregnancy, would it? Um, Sarah blames Abram um, for the problem and he gives Sarah permission to do whatever she wants and hagar flees into the desert now chapter 16 begins with this kind of dark story but fortunately for hagar it ends with a bright side so let's uh let's read a little bit more and see the bright side verse 7 the angel of the lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness in the spring on the way to shur and he said "Hagar, servant of Sarai." Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called on the name, the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Now the angel of the Lord here is possibly the pre-incarnate Christ um, that is speaking with Hagar here. He finds her in the wilderness. He instructs her to return to her mistress and submit. But he also kind of does a divine sonogram here. He gives her great information about her child. She already knows she's pregnant. But now he gives her more information. It's a boy. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be Ishmael, which means God hears. And he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. In verse 13, Hagar, one of the only places in scripture that someone puts a name on God. Hagar gives God um, the name, you are a God of seeing. She completes that picture um, that she's experienced with God as she's encountered him as the wilderness. God is a God who hears us and God is a God who sees us. Hagar does what Abram and Sarah haven't done. She trusts God. She obeys God. She goes back home. And Ishmael is born when Abram is 86 years old. Ishmael's birth is Sarah's plan. Not God's plan as part of the Abrahamic covenant. But Hagar has had the experience of really seeing who God is. He's a God who sees and a God who hears. What a blessing. Uh, two years ago, this very day, I was down at Cook's Children's Hospital. My little two-year-old grandson, Aaron, um, was in the... Uh, cardiac intensive care Aaron, as a two-year-old had managed to unscrew a bottle of heart medicine you know that child proof cap that none of us can get off well a two-year-old works it pretty easily and he had ingested um, what should have been a fatal dose of this heart medicine and so he was on life support for days um, that very first night that my kids sat in that CICU room at Cook's with him um, uh, was pretty bleak. It was a room full of machines that um, were keeping Aaron's heart going. There was a ventilator that was breathing for Aaron. And I can't even tell you the other things that were in that room. But what they did was sit all night and just ask God for not only strength, but also for his mercy on Aaron's little life. The doctors gave them almost no hope. And when they did, they used a lot of words like brain damage and disabilities and that sort of thing. But at 2 in the morning, a doctor that's called a criticalist because he takes care of the most critical patients. Um, Jimmy and Sarah just met him that day. He came into the room and he said, had a piece of paper in his hand. And he said, my wife is up doing a Bible study. And God has given her a verse that she thinks is for One of my patients here tonight. And I believe it is for you. And he handed that piece of paper to my son. And it had Psalm 27 on it right here. It's on your verse sheet. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. And that verse on that piece of paper said, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, just like Hagar, it doesn't matter what what wilderness we're in, we have a God who hears and a God who sees. And he had done that um, with my sweet kiddos and Aaron. And he was gracious to answer them. Because miraculously, Aaron is a happy, healthy four-year-old today. You would never know except for a big scar on his chest that he had ever had more than uh, a skin knee in his life. Our God has a plan and he is a God that sees and a God that hears. But we must wait. And that was a lesson that Abram and Sarah learned the hard way. Learned the hard way. Okay, so let's put the final touches on the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 17. Um, Read verses 1 through 5 with me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him... Now it's 13 years after Ishmael's birth and God is once more talking face to face with Abram. God actually calls himself by a new name here. He calls himself El Shaddai, one of my favorite names for God. It means God Almighty and I think the reason he uses it here is it highlights the fact that it is going to require God's supernatural power to carry these promises of the Abrahamic covenant all the way to the millennial kingdom. But he also gives Abram a new name here. Um, From here on out, he will be Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And he gives him some even more... um, He expands on his promises here. In verses 6 through 8, God reveals to Abram that in addition to being the father of many nations, kings will come from him. The covenant will be everlasting and the land Abram possesses will be an everlasting possession of his descendants. Remember our chart? That land in the millennial kingdom will be an everlasting possession for Abram's descendants Here is the Abrahamic covenant extending all the way to eternity. Now, years before, God had uh, confirmed these promises to Abram by ratifying the covenant. But now, with Abraham's name changed, he's going to give him an everlasting sign of these magnificent promises. God has given him a confirming sign. Let's read what that confirming sign is in verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you... After you throughout the generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring. After you, every male among you shall be circumcised, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. Now, circumcision of males in the ancient world that they lived in was not unheard of. There were cultures here and there that used um, circumcision they think mostly as a hygienic measure but here God gives circumcision a new meaning it is a sign and a symbol of the covenant that God makes with his chosen people circumcision was a physical act that God was asking of them it was also a physical mark that they would bear as males on their body forever. That sets them apart as the nation that God was founding through Abraham and his offspring. It's an everlasting sign of the Abrahamic covenant to every one of Abraham's physical descendants. It was part of God's plan to bless all the peoples of the world through this one family that he had chosen and made these great promises to. Now in Moses's final address to the nation of Israel before they go into the promised land in Deuteronomy, he talks about another type of circumcision. He talks about a circumcision of the heart. And the reason he talks about a circumcision of the heart is because of what circumcision symbolizes. No matter what part of the body it's on, circumcision signifies um uh, dependence on God. It signifies dedication to God and separation to him from the practices of the rest of the world. Of course, God's full intention was that all of our hearts would be circumcised eventually. Look at Deuteronomy 36 on your verse sheet. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul that you might live. Now after all this talk about circumcision one more time. The longest wait in the history of the world for a baby finally comes to end. If you know women that have had struggles with infertility. They weren't as long as Sarah's because she is now 90 years old. Look at verse 15 with me. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, my might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. For his offspring after him. Um, so God is very clear, very clear. There is no doubt to Abraham and Sarah or to God. Who is going to be the descendant that the everlasting covenant will come through? And it is not Ishmael. Ishmael may be Abraham's natural-born son, but it is Isaac who is the son of the promise, and who will the line um, that goes clear to the Messiah will come through Isaac, not Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is. Abraham's son and I think God is just gracious here because he blesses Ishmael too he says he will be the father of 12 princes he will be a great nation unfortunately these physical descendants are going to cause turmoil for the rest of um, our time here on earth in the Middle East um, And that's all because of the foolish plans of our human hearts that decided to rebel against God's plan. So let's finish up real um, quickly here. Look at uh, verse 22 with me. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. And then Abram took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money. Every male among the men of Abram's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God said to him. And drop down to verse 26. And that very day, Abraham and his son, Ishmael, were circumcised. Abraham believes And he obeys God. And that very day, he places the sign of the Abrahamic covenant on every male of his household, including himself at age 99 and Ishmael at age 13. It was an important day. It was an important day when they put that sign of the covenant in place for the nation of Israel. It would show every one of Abraham's descendants that God has a plan to rescue and bless a rebellious world through Abraham's family and that family. Uh, And his hope was that they would reveal to the world the truth of who God really was. Okay, now these chapters have been so much information so many things to take in we haven't talked about most of it unfortunately but before we close what i want you to really think about now is that abraham and sarah give us an incredible look about what it means to be part of god's plan of how we can either walk along beside god and his plan or choose to rebel against god's plan and every one of us in here as believers are part of god's divine plan so let's learn from abraham and sarah and i think the first lesson abraham teaches us is that when we are part of god's plan and we are it's the right thing to do to pursue God for deeper understanding and greater revelation. And we do that, ladies, by studying the Word of God. We're never going to be able to follow God's plan in faith and obedience if we don't know what the plan is Or who our God is that is making that divine plan. If we don't search the scriptures and pray for a deeper understanding of what our part is in God's divine plan. You know what we do? We become Sarah. We make up our own plan. We haven't figured out what God's plan is. So we make our own plan. So we want to learn from Abraham and and pursue God for deeper revelation. The next thing that Abraham and Sarah teach us about being part of God's plan is that it's almost always going to mean we're going to wait. We're going to wait when we're part of God's plan. And there's a reason for that. God's timing is not our timing. God has a different clock. In eternity than we have here on earth. And unfortunately we want our clock to be the one that God abides by. And it isn't always that way. And because God's timing is different we are going to wait. We are going to wait for God to go before us. We are also going to wait for our hearts to align with God's heart. In faith and obedience if we are part of God's plan we will wait Another lesson we learn which is so important for us as women is that we have influence. We have great influence on as women. We have influence on others about whether they follow God's plan. Or whether they make their own plan. And rebel against God's plan. And our wisdom here today is that we need to use that influence wisely. God's plan for Abraham and his family to rescue and bless the rest of human history was actually put into jeopardy by Sarah's unwise influence on Abraham. She swayed him to listen to her instead of to listen to God. So what that means to us is we have to be careful with our influence. We need to be careful with our words. Be careful how we live our life. Be careful with our actions of how they're influencing others. Everyone is watching. Everyone is watching. And you may have an eternal Consequence on somebody else's life. And finally, finally, we see Abraham's faith so clearly in these chapters, it influences. What we know about living out our faith in God's plan. You know we can talk about our faith. And we can read about our faith. We can even pray about our faith. But what we learn from Abraham is that faith is always revealed in our obedience to God's plan. Instead of our own plan. You know faith without obedience is a fake faith. And it fools no one. Especially God. It never fools our God. Pray with me. Father, you are a great and a gracious God and how kind you are to us, how merciful you are to us to see us and to hear us and to reveal yourself and your divine plan to us through these amazing words. Lord, I'm asking that as women that we would um, know you more. And we would love you with a deeper and more sacrificial love. I pray that your word of truth would speak to each one of our hearts today. And that as we leave here today, we would know um, that you love us. And that you have a plan for our lives as well. And I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks ladies.